right now. Lift up a voice of praise to him. this morning are you looking forward to that point in time when everything that you have longed for becomes reality you step out of this temporal out of this corruptible into the eternal and incorruptible I'm looking forward to that day amen why don't we give the Lord another hand clap of praise today thank you mighty God So happy to have each and every one of you here this morning. Happy to have some of Sister Tori's family visiting with us from out of town. We are glad that you've come and that you're here. Glad to see our good friend Zeb home visiting us again. Always love seeing Brother Zeb. He lights up wherever he goes. He's just got that kind of charismatic personality. You want to be around him. So we love when he's here visiting with us look forward to speaking with him after service don't we just love being in the presence of the Lord there's nothing like it it doesn't matter what your week has brought upon you it doesn't matter what circumstances of life have appeared when we get into this place and we begin to worship him and magnify him together his presence becomes so real that you can feel it it's tangible and there's nothing like it I love what I feel in the house of the Lord this morning Pastor Landtroop is on his annual sabbatical, going to the mountains of Colorado. Hopefully he'll come back with some delicious elk meat to share. Uh, he, he asked if he could borrow my cooler. I said, yes, you can, as long as you bring it back full. He, he, he promised to do his best. And when you're out elk hunting, archery season that's about all you can do is promise to do your best <laughs> it is a, a challenging feat but it's a good time for him to get away um, this year he took Zane with him so I'm sure Zane's excited about that he'll have some stories to tell we know pastors talked about these trips for years now I talk about them all the time too as you've ever been it's something to bring up every now and then and uh, I'm sure Zane's gonna bring back some stories to tell as well if you have your Bibles this morning, if you will turn with me to 2 Kings chapter number 7. 2 Kings chapter number 7. We're going to read verses 3 through 5. 2 Kings chapter 7 verses 3 through 5. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? That's a good question. Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore, come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. 
And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. There was no man there. Would you put your Bibles down, lift your voice, and let's ask the Lord to have his way through the remainder of this service. Ask him to speak to you. Ask him to speak to those around you. Father, we are so thankful to be in your house today, and we know that your written word is anointed already. I ask that you would anoint me today to deliver this message that you've put into my heart, into my spirit. Let it impact each and every one of us. Let it help us today. Let it encourage us today. Let it empower us today. Let it equip us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. As we begin this morning, I wonder if you just take a moment to look around. Look to your sides, maybe look behind you. Some of you can even look in front of you. And as you look around, all you see is people. We're just all people. Some here are men, some are ladies, some are young, some are not so young. Some are lean and some are not so lean. But ultimately, we're just all people. And as people, it is our nature to doubt. We live in a sensory world and are incessantly bombarded with more stimuli than we can accurately process. We feel as though we are captive to the limitations of our five senses, what we can see hear, smell, taste, and touch, knowing that we cannot process all of the stimuli around us. We often find ourselves feeling like prisoners of our own inadequacies. We know that there is so much around us that we do not see, so many sounds that we do not hear, so many scents that we do not smell, and it often causes us to doubt what we think we know, what we think we saw, what we think we heard, and because of this, uncertainty creeps into our perspective. Our life experiences sometimes rob us of our confidence. We pray when we are sick and sometimes we're not healed. We pray for a miracle of financial provision during a time of hardship and it seems as though our prayers fall flat to the floor as they leave our lips and we allow these experiences to rob us of our confidence and our certainty. I dare say today that there is no one so spiritual that they have not struggled with doubt at times. It is our nature to doubt. Doubt plagues us all. None of us escape its grip. If we're honest, we are more often than not like the father we read about in Mark Chapter 9, verses 17 through 27, who brought his son to Jesus for healing. The gospel account tells us that a dumb, mute spirit possessed the boy, would cause him to fall down, to convulse violently, to foam at the mouth. It would throw the boy into the fire, into the waters, trying to destroy him. And this father brought his son to the disciples, and they had been unable to help. Then Jesus arrives on the scene. 
And this desperate dad begins to plea with the one who is his last hope. He tells the story of the way the spirit has tormented his son. And Jesus says to him in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. We know that faith is the currency of the kingdom of heaven. It takes faith to receive anything from God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And throughout Scripture, there is an abundance of evidence that demonstrates that God is pleased with and is moved by those who ask of Him in faith. But let's be honest. As was this father in Mark chapter 9, when Jesus reminded him of the necessity of faith, the Bible says in verse 24, And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. That is us. That is you. And that is me. It seldom happens that we experience the kind of faith that is so certain it banishes all doubt. Most often, like this desperate dad, we have enough faith to ask God to help us. But doubt lurks in the shadows of our heart, wondering if he will help us. We seldom doubt God's ability to help us, but we often doubt God's willingness to help us. So today we are going to address this reality that all of us experience Today, as I speak to you about God, doubts, and faith, we're going to answer the question, does doubt disqualify me from receiving from God? We need to once and for all settle this question that plagues our minds, attempting to rob us of the little bit of faith that we do have and attempts to rob us of the miracle we so desperately need in our lives. I could try today to talk you out of your doubts by driving your attention to passages of Scripture that reveal a caring and capable God. Scriptures that declare that He cares for you. Scriptures that declare that He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. I could try to talk you out of your doubt today by sharing with you testimony after testimony of miracles that God has done in the lives of those who are sitting in this sanctuary with you this morning. Real stories of real people receiving real miracles. And that might work for a while. But given time, I'm confident that you would find yourself all too soon filled again with doubts. It wouldn't be long before that old familiar voice would be perched upon your shoulder, whispering in your ear. God did that back then, but he doesn't do that now. God did that over there, but he doesn't do that here. Oh, yeah, sure, God did that for them, but he won't do that for you. So today, rather than try to talk you out of your doubts, I am going to challenge you to act on your doubts. As I've already mentioned, it's human nature to doubt. It's something that seems to be ingrained in our DNA, the very essence of our humanity. And it is also human nature when we have doubts 
to find ourselves in a state of hesitation, a state of fear, and even a state of paralysis, unable to move forward, unable to take action. But rather than letting your doubts paralyze you, I want to challenge you today to act on your doubts. Even if in your mind you're not sure there is a God, if in your mind he's just a maybe, I'm challenging you today, act on that maybe. If in your mind a miracle of healing is only a very remote possibility, then act on that remote possibility today. If in your mind there's only the slightest sliver of a chance that God would be willing to forgive and to save and to give someone like you a brand new beginning, then act on that slightest sliver of a chance. See, I'm operating today on the premise that a step toward God that is filled with doubts and uncertainty is far better than a step that is absolutely certain that you could take that moves you away from God. A step toward God full of doubts is far superior than the most certain step you can take away from Him. The Bible is full of stories that illustrate this truth. And obviously, I don't have time to share them all with you, but I would like to share a couple of them with you. In the Old Testament, we read the story of Esther. And as we read through the story of Esther, how she came to be the queen. And in time, we read about a man named Haman. A man whose hatred and jealousy for her uncle Mordecai causes him to formulate a plan to destroy Mordecai. But not just Mordecai. His hatred runs so deep. His jealousy is so vast that he plans to destroy all the Jews. As we read through the story Haman doesn't hide his plot. He publishes it. He makes it known. And so this plot is uncovered. And Mordecai sends word to Esther, the queen, saying, You must go before the king so that we might be spared. Esther, upon hearing this, responds to her uncle saying, I don't know if I can do that. It's against the law to enter into the throne room uninvited. He's understanding that if I go before the king and he doesn't like it, I could be killed. I could be put to death. I don't know if I'm willing to take that chance, Mordecai. Mordecai wastes no time in responding to Esther's concerns. He explains to her, Esther, sweetheart, if you do nothing, two things are absolutely certain to happen. If you do nothing, all the Jews will die. Esther, baby, you're a Jew. Those two things are absolutely certain. And then Mordecai presents to her the one thing that is uncertain. Esther, if you go to the king, you may die. But... If you don't go to the king, you will die. He might be displeased. 
he might not. There's a glimmer of hope and the possibility that he won't be angry with you. But if you sit around and do nothing, your death is absolutely certain. Well, with that logic, it's not hard to imagine. Esther comes to a decision. And in Esther chapter 4, verse 16, she says, I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. In other words, in spite of her doubts, with the doubt of her potentially living and dying, Esther acts. She goes in to the king, and he was not angry. She goes in to the king, and the king lifts his golden scepter of acceptance to Esther. In fact, as we read this story, he's delighted to see her. The very thing that she feared. The very thing that would have caused her to sit idle and paralyzed. Her fear of not being accepted. When the truth is, he welcomed her. He was delighted to see her. To the extent that what he offered her was, whatever you want, up to half the kingdom. I'm so happy to see you. I'm so glad you came to me. What can I do for you? I'll do anything up to giving you half of my kingdom. You see, the king was there. He was on the throne. He had the power to help. He had the authority to help. He was available. But Esther had to go to him. Esther had to act on her doubts, not really knowing what he would do, not really knowing what he would say. And just as her king was there, our king awaits us. Maybe you've wrestled with doubts about whether he will accept you. I challenge you to come to him anyway. If doubt has held you back from calling out to the king and bringing your needs to him, can I challenge you today to come anyway? Because just as happened for Esther, it could happen for you. The king can accept you. The king can welcome you. The king can be delighted to see you. And the king can grant you what you ask. But one thing's for certain. If you don't come to him, he can't do anything for you. There's another story from the Old Testament. It's a very familiar story for most people. It is the story of Jonah. Jonah, who is called of God. He is a prophet of God, and he is called by God to go and to preach to the city of Nineveh. We understand the story, the background. He didn't want to go preach to the people of Nineveh, so he runs the other way, jumps on a boat, trying to sail to Tarshish. Storm comes up. All the sailors are like, what's going on? Who did something to make God angry? These were not Israelites. <laughs> These were not children of Israel that would consider themselves God's chosen people, and yet they knew somebody's done something to make God angry. Jonah in time confesses. He's like, yeah, that's me. God told me to do something. I ran the opposite way. So they're like, well, what can we do? He said, you got to throw me over. They're like, are you kidding me? We don't want to be guilty of that. How's that going to help us out? But he convinces them to throw him over, and God had prepared a great fish, and the great fish swallows Jonah. 
Jonah has a little time in the belly there and begins to think about his choices. <laughs> and he repents and God causes the fish to spit him out. So Jonah continues on his mission to go and to preach. And so when he arrives into the city of Nineveh, he goes a day's journey and begins to proclaim, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's not a deep message, is it? It's not a long message. He doesn't go into any details about what's coming. Just there's 40 days and Nineveh's going to be destroyed. 40 days and you're going to be wiped out. What we know about this story is that Jonah honestly didn't care. Jonah actually was looking forward to them being punished. That's why he didn't want to go. He's like, if I go, you're merciful and you'll forgive them. And, uh, I don't want to see that happen. So if I don't preach to them, they can't change and the judgment will come. Can you imagine a preacher preaching judgment and hoping it comes on you? The Bible doesn't mention or even hint at Jonah offering the people of Nineveh any hope at all in his message of pending doom. He doesn't mention repentance. He doesn't mention mercy. He doesn't mention any kind of sacrifice. Can you imagine a preacher that tells you you're going to be condemned to hell if something doesn't change, but he doesn't tell you how? He doesn't tell you a way out. He doesn't offer you any hope. Yep, you're doomed. Uh, it's coming. Just get ready. With a smile on his face. Yeah, God's going to kill you. It's coming. It's coming. However, as we read the story, the people of Nineveh acted on their doubt. We read in Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him. And we know that the king's robe represented his victories. The king's robe represented his glory. The king's robe represented his power and authority. And this king laid his robe from him and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. And notice this next expression. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Who can tell? I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have any promise here. There was no thundering voice out of heaven. The prophet of God didn't say, hey, if you'll repent, this judgment can, can be reversed. So he says, who knows? I really don't know if it's going to make a difference, but it's the only option we really have is that even in our doubts, let's act on our doubts. Let's cry out to God. Let's humble ourselves. Let's repent of our ways. And as Jonah sits on a hillside in his church he built with a seating capacity of exactly one, waiting for the pending judgment, we see the people of Nineveh acting on their doubt, and God heard their repentance and showed mercy to them even though they didn't have a promise 
of mercy, even though they didn't have a promise of forgiveness. Maybe there's someone who's hearing this message today who's been wrestling with thoughts like, am I too far away from God? Have I done too many bad things? Will God even hear me if I call out to him? Can I challenge you today? Act on your doubt. Who can tell? If you cry out to him. There's plenty of examples. There's plenty of testimonies surrounding you who thought similar thoughts. Thought, will he even hear me? And yet they acted on their doubt and they cried out to God. And he heard them. He heard them. And he can hear you. Now, if we'll turn our attention again to our opening text in 2 Kings chapter 7. Verse 3, And there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit he still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. When they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. Continuing on in the story in verse 6, For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. Verse 8, And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it. And came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. In this story, there are four lepers, men who are diseased with a skin disease that literally causes parts of the body to rot off. They are forced to live outside of the camp of Israel. They're forced to be away from their families. They're forced to call out unclean if anyone were to come near them. And they find themselves trapped between the besieged, dying city of Samaria and the ruthless, merciless Syrian army. And as they look at their situation, as they look at their circumstances, there's not a lot of hope to be found. The people in the city are dying. They're literally eating their own children. The Syrian army is not too far away. Known for their merciless, ruthless aggression. Knowing for their military might and prowess. And so they begin to consider their options. They look at one another and they're like, Well, fellas, <clears throat> we could just sit here and die. That doesn't make a lot of sense. We could go into the city and die that doesn't make a lot of sense 
But there's one thing we're really not sure about. If we go to the Syrians, they might kill us. But they might not. And so in these circumstances where there's not much hope, they choose the only option that has a sliver of hope, a sliver of possibility, though they were doubtful of the outcome. Because again, there was no booming voice from heaven. There was no prophet of God coming to direct their action. They decided to act on their doubt. I don't know what will happen if we go there, but let's go there. I know what will happen if I stay here. I know what will happen if we go in the city. But I don't know what's going to happen if we go to Syria. Let's go. And so they arose in the twilight. They went to the camp. And when they got there, the Syrians were gone. They had no promise of the Syrian army being driven off. <clears throat> this is not like Gideon, right? Who was given clear instructions on how to conquer the Midianites. They had no prophet coming along, no judge alongside them encouraging them to go. And they went anyway. And when they got there, the Syrians were gone. They had absolutely abandoned everything. They didn't pack up and leave. They just left. And as we read in verse 8, this is how four starving, leprous outcasts ate king's food wore king's robes and saved a dying city. Because as you read the story on, they go back and begin to tell the city. They're like, we're not doing real good here by keeping this all for ourselves. Let's go and tell our countrymen. Let's go and tell our relatives. Let's go and tell the people in Samaria. And because of these four starving, leprous outcasts acting upon their doubt, not only were they saved, but their family was saved. Their neighbors were saved. Maybe, just maybe, there is someone here today who has been yearning to leave your present circumstances behind, but doubt haunts your mind. It's attempting to imprison you in hopelessness and despair. Can I challenge you to act on your doubt today? Well, I don't know if I can change. Why don't you try? Well, I don't know if God will forgive me. Why don't you ask? You see, if you do nothing, nothing will change. But if you act on the possibility of a new and better life, then at least there's a chance things will get better. As we have seen from these biblical stories today, God is not insulted when we come to him in faith while still carrying some of our uncertainty and doubts. When the desperate father cried out to Jesus, I believe, help thou mine unbelief, Jesus did not send him away. Jesus did not say to him, oh, I'm sorry, I, I can't help you since you're still struggling with some unbelief. Get rid of your doubt and come back and then I'll help you. That's not what he said. What he did was he set that boy free from that spirit that had been tormenting him. What he did was answer that desperate father's prayers. And he will do the same for you. When a leper came timidly to Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and he called to him, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. What he was really saying was, 
I believe you can, Jesus, but I don't know if you will. How often have you thought similar thoughts? God, I believe you can, but I don't know if you'd do that for me. How did Jesus respond to the leper's doubt? He wasn't insulted. He wasn't turned off. He wasn't angered. What Jesus did was tell him, put forth. He put forth his hand and said, touched him and said, I'm willing. Be thou clean. I'm willing. Be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. When the prodigal son who had asked his father for an early inheritance, basically saying, I wish you were dead. And then he went off and he wasted it all. When this young man woke up and came to himself in the pig pen in Luke chapter 15, he decided, if I stay where I'm at, there's no hope at all. It only continues to go downhill. If I go to my father's house, I really don't know what will happen. I seriously doubt he'll welcome me back as his son, but maybe I could come back and be one of his servants. They certainly have it better than I do. He didn't know what type of reception he could expect after the things he had said and the things that he had done. And the son who had left home in a spirit of ingratitude and rebellion now returns with an attitude that said, I'm not worthy to be your son. And I'll gladly live with the hired servants. I'll gladly just be a worker on your farm. But as we read of this prodigal son making his approach down the dusty road toward home, perhaps the noonday sun shining in his eyes, blinding his ability to see very far. He's still doubting. He's still uncertain. He's still apprehensive. He's making his way. He's planning his words carefully. And as he walks, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a figure appears not far from him in a full run, a full sprint, who falls upon him and hugs his neck. And he realizes that it's his father. He ran to meet him. He ran to welcome him back. Maybe there's someone who is listening today and you've been away from God for a while. Maybe you've done some things you're ashamed of. Maybe you've been some places that you wish you had never gone. Maybe you're wrestling with some doubts today about is it even possible for me to return? Is it even possible for me to find my way back to God? Can I encourage you today? Can I challenge you today to act on your doubt? Take that step back toward the Father. Give him a chance to show you that he's been waiting on you the whole time. Give him a chance to show you his love and his grace and his mercy. Would you stand with me this morning? Maybe there's someone here who you've never really known God, but you are feeling that same separation that's brought about by the guilt and shame of knowing the things you've done that just weren't right. Maybe up until now, the idea of having a personal relationship with God was something that you have doubted was real or possible. Can I encourage you today to act on your doubts? Don't let doubt rob you of a real, genuine relationship with God.
Don't let your doubts rob you of having a loving Father who cares for you, who desires to protect you, who desires to bless you. That's you today and you want to step out and act on your doubt, but you're not sure what you need to do to get that relationship going in the right direction. Let me take just a minute to give you some answers about that. What do I do, preacher? I feel this yearning in my heart to have that relationship. And up till now, I didn't really know if it was possible, but I want to act today. I want to take a step today, so what do I do? First thing you should do is just step out from where you've been sitting today and walk down to the front of the sanctuary when they begin to sing in a moment. You see, that's taking action. And it takes courage. It takes courage to get out from where you are when you're still doubting and you're still unsure. But if you'll step out in faith and you'll make your way down, I promise you, God will do far more than you imagine. God will exceed your expectations. And when you get down here, I want you to first of all thank God for what you've been feeling today through His Word. And I want you to ask him to forgive you of everything that you've ever done that was sinful or displeased him. Ask him to forgive you for everything you've done that you knew was wrong to do, but you did anyway. And ask him to forgive you for everything you did that was wrong that you didn't know it was wrong when you were doing it. Because those two requests take care of everything you could have done. And once you've done that, I want you to begin to praise him and to thank him for his forgiveness, for his love for you. Because I'm telling you today, with absolute certainty, there is no one who calls out to God with a repentant heart, asking him for forgiveness that he turns away. The next thing you'll want to do as you try to establish this right relationship with God is you'll want to be baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins, to completely remove them, to wash you and give you a clean conscience and a brand new start. You'll want to receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit. You'll know you get it when you speak something you don't understand. The Bible says that when people receive the Holy Ghost, they speak with other tongues as God's Spirit gives them utterance. You'll be praising God, you'll be thanking God, and all of a sudden, these little sounds will begin to pop into your mind that you don't understand. And we have a tendency to try to push those out. We want to you know, understand what we're saying, but... God wants to see, will you surrender enough to say those things that don't make a whole lot of sense to you? I know, it feels a little weird. I know, you're like, what's people going to think? Well, those here is going to be excited. They're going to rejoice with you. They're going to celebrate with you that you received God's spirit. I know there's those here today, you're not away from God. You're not uh, out of a relationship with God. There are many believers here today. And I don't want you to think this message wasn't for you. Maybe you're a new believer. Maybe you've been a believer for a while, but when it comes to establishing that daily Bible reading, it's like, I don't know if I can keep it up every day. What if I fall out? What if, what if I miss a day? What if, what if I can't keep it going? I'm going to challenge you to act on your doubts. Can you do your Bible reading today? What about just today? Let's don't worry about next year. Let's don't worry about six months from now. Well, I don't know if I'll remember to do it tomorrow. Well, can you do it today? Act on what you can do today. Maybe there's those here that have been thinking about joining a ministry, getting involved in somewhere in some form in the church, but you, you doubt. Well, what if they want me to do more than I'm able to do? What if they 
What if I forget and I don't show up when I'm supposed to? Well, why don't you act on your doubts? Well, I'm not sure if I've got the talent. I'm not sure if I've got the ability to do that. Try. Just try. Offer yourself. Offer your time to God. And see what He'll do in your life. There may be those here today who are struggling to overcome an addiction in your life. And up till now, doubts have plagued you. Well, I don't know if I can completely walk away from this. I don't know if I've got what it takes to lay down alcohol. I don't know if I've got what it takes to lay down drugs. I don't know if I've got what it takes to lay down gambling or pornography. I don't know if I've got what it takes to overcome this. Can you act on your doubt today? Can you overcome it today? Can you go today without it? Can you beat it just today? If you think you can do that, and I know that you can, when we open up the altars, why don't you come down and say, God, I don't, I don't know about tomorrow. I really, I'm struggling with my belief and my ability to overcome this, but I believe today I can. I believe today I can do without that. I believe today that I can read my Bible. I believe that today I can get involved somewhere. And I'm just going to give you what I can give you today. I'm bringing what I've got. It's not absolute faith. It's not absolute certainty. I've got some doubts, but I'll bring you what I've got. We open up the altars to you here this morning. We welcome you to come down, have a conversation with God. Whatever it is that your situation is, wherever God has spoken to you today, we want to give you a chance today to come down and respond. Bring your doubts with you. It's okay. You're not going to insult him. You're not going to offend him. Bring them with you. He welcomes your doubts. Looking for is that honesty. 
you, God. They're real. 